0: From AAC Studios, welcome to Scrappy, the podcast about small companies doing big things. I'm your host, Chris Stragas. Our sun, 4.5 billion years old, give or take a few. It's more than 325,000 times the weight of our home planet. It would take 1.3 million of our Earths to fill it up. And it's 1,000 times brighter than a clear daytime sky. This, our ancient local star, is almost single-handedly responsible for why our Earth is the way it is, even our very existence. Billions of years ago, it helped change our planet from a burning, barren wasteland into the lush, habitable place we call home. And now, while we're facing a global environmental upheaval unprecedented in human history, two citizens of our unique global family hope to harness that very sun to fundamentally change the planet again.
1: I'm Julie Broussa, and I'm one of the co-founders of Solar Roadways.
2: And I'm Scott Broussa, I'm the other co-founder of Solar Roadways. I was born in California, Southern California, and we, my family, moved to a place called Buena Park when I was four, and that's where I met Julie. She was three. She was our direct backdoor neighbor. She tells the story better how we met.
1: Because I actually remember this. Scott does not remember this, but and I was younger, but I still am the one that remembers it. It's, um, we didn't have any walls. Later they built walls, but in the beginning it was it was brand new construction. It was just all dirt, and our mothers met out in the backyard and. Both Scott and I were really shy and scared of each other. And I have a very clear memory of both of us like behind our mother's legs hiding and both of our mothers were trying to get us to come out and say hi to each other. And we just peeked at each other from behind our mother's legs.
2: (laughs) Her mother used to babysit me while my parents worked.
0: (laughs) This
1: pair brought together
0: simply by chance made a connection, a bond that's held ever since.
1: We walked to school and home from school together, and and now we're married. It's just quite something to be married to the person who was, for both of us, were each other's first um, girl, friend, or <laughs> boy, friend, girlfriend. girl a friend that's a girl or a friend that's a boy.
0: By the early 1990s, Julie would go on to get her master's in psychology and Scott, a master's in electrical engineering, And both would set off on their successful careers. But then in the mid-2000s, a fundamental shift in trajectory was about to take place. It was the kind of realignment that often only comes once in a lifetime, if at all. As Julie recalls,
1: she took Scott to the movies. I had always an affinity for all growing things, animals, plants, trees. I remember just walking among trees and just loving them, loving gardening, and just caring very much about the environment always. So I had a whole different take when we started hearing about climate change. I was immediately very, very worried and wanting to do something, but our inspiration was wanting to protect the
2: earth. Matter of fact when talk about global warming first began and we started seeing it on the evening news I mean we were married then and I'm an engineer, so I kept thinking, okay, if it's really a problem, why doesn't somebody fix it? And I just got kind of tired of hearing about it every night because I'm thinking of oh, a climatologist fixes this. And then Al Gore's movie came out, and we went to see it together, um, An Inconvenient Truth, and then we realized what how big the problem really was. And Julie has always been an environmentalist. I was more skeptical, more of a the engineering type.
1: He was very willing to go see the movie, but I had to... Um just the environmental things, I was talking to him a lot about them when we first got married. And I was very skeptical a little, Yeah, he was skeptical of the science, just, you know, is it really, is the planet really in danger? And
2: You're just naturally, well, you're trained to be skeptical
1: mm-hmm. of everything. Now of course he totally believes the planet is really in danger after studying it a lot, but for me it's more of a, an emotional thing and a, an instant connection. And for him, it's the science that convinced
2: him. And she, after seeing the movie, said, we need to do something, you know, ourselves. And we thought about putting solar panels on the roof, but we don't really like the look of them. And so she asked, can't you take solar panels and lay them on the driveway? And I just kind of laughed. I said, you can't even step on those, let alone drive on them. So she dropped it. But it kind of stuck in my craw, and I kept thinking about it. And I finally decided if we could figure out a way to protect the solar cells, it just might work. And that's, that's where it started from. I remember sitting on a couch. We're talking about this and we live in North Idaho. We get a lot of snow here. Solar panels don't work if they get snow on them. So we, we were thought,
1: sitting there. There we were sitting on the couch, um, just brainstorming and we would just come up with ideas so fast and it, it seemed like it snowballed so fast that it was such fun because we had just realization. So we're
2: thinking, okay, so snow. The, the original idea was just solar panels. But the snow would have stopped this. So now we got to put some kind of heating element inside the panel to prevent the snow from sticking. And then we thought, well, if we're going to make these roads out of them, you can't have, you can't paint lines on top of solar panels. They stop producing. So we thought, let's put LEDs inside to illuminate the road lines.
1: So all of a sudden we're realizing, oh my gosh, if we do this, if we make the lines and the signage out of LEDs, we'll be able to see perfectly again. Like right now, I can't drive at night in an unfamiliar city. I don't see well enough. With solar roadways, I will be able to again. And here in North Idaho, in the wintertime, you can't see the lines anymore. They're covered with snow almost all the time, so everybody just guesses. It's very dangerous.
2: So here's the really cool part. When I put the LEDs in, in order to make the LEDs work, we had to have a microprocessor. As soon as we put that microprocessor in there, each panel became a computer. And then, the, you know, the sky's the limit. You can do whatever you want with it. We put sensors in. We have a light sensor, so it, it measures the ambient light. So the brighter the sun gets, the brighter the LEDs become. At nighttime, they're really low setting. Um, we put temperature sensors, four temperature sensors in the panel, so we, the microprocessor pulls all four, and if any of them's lower than the threshold voltage, it kicks in the heating elements. Um, it just basically became a computer.
0: It occurred to me as I was talking to the Broussalls and they were diving deeper into their concept that they were truly in the Goldilocks zone for this idea. This amalgam of technologies, computer, solar, LED and heat filament, glass, wireless and IoT, not to mention manufacturing. This was the only time in history that these elements have been available in a way that could come together like this. And in just another decade or two, it may well be too late to have enough of the intended effect. In the four and a half billion year journey of our Earth, an incredible idea finds just the right team at just the right time to bring it to life.
1: It was it was really clear to us. And it was almost scary because we remember we were in Washington, D.C., waiting to see Senator Crapo, who's our Idaho senator, and we both have a really clear memory of sitting there waiting to see him and the news was just talking about various problems in the world and then we would say, we can solve that. Then they'd mention another problem and we'd say, we can solve that too. They'd mention another problem and we'd say, oh my gosh, we can solve all these problems. This is almost scary. From that early brainstorming time, we knew that this was gonna change the world
0: But nothing, no idea or business or movement is easy and seamless. There are always challenges. The difference is in the difference makers.
2: Originally, and I used to do a lot of talks and people would ask that question, what's what's the biggest hurdle? And I'd say red tape. Because we didn't know when we first got into this, Roads can be owned privately by the county, by the city, by the state, by the federal government, and they all have different rules and regulations. So that was, you know, you can get around that, it's just not not easy. You have to figure out, everybody's going to have different requirements. Um, The bigger challenge that we've found along the way is manufacturing. I've never done manufacturing before. I've done a lot of design work over the years for other people.
1: But moreover, the funding for it, trying to do it with a budget, you know. So one of the biggest challenges we have right now is just funding. We have not wanted to take on an investor because that scares us. We hear horror stories all the time from fellow inventors who tell us they've taken on an investor and really regretted it, that the investor's pushing them in directions they don't want to go. And they ultimately get fired. We don't want an investor saying, no, just, you know, have it made in China and... And who cares about the environmental processes? Just get it out there and we'll make a lot of money. That's not our motivation. That's not who we are. So we're working seven days a week. We need ultimately to be able to have manufacturing facilities all over. We've got our first one under contract in Ohio. But we need lots, lots more.
2: In a typical business, you get it off the ground, you finally start making some money and save up and maybe order, you know, begin construction on a second factory. That's going to take too long. We don't have that kind of time.
1: The planet doesn't have that
2: yeah. <laughs> kind of time.
0: Another challenge for Solar roadways was manufacturing logistics. For this idea to really have an impact, it was going to take a lot of panels. So just like they developed creative ways to design the environmental solution, they've worked out an interesting way to deal with the logistical challenges of time, geography, and production.
2: We're looking at a franchise model where we can have 50 people building factories at the same time. We would basically show them how to make, their, make our solar road panels and let, cut them loose and let them go at it. Yeah, we need to get this out fast and all over the world. We've had, we're have had we here in North Idaho. We've had people who want to manufacture in our countries visit us from South Korea, from Australia. We're flown to Austria, all over the world.
1: And this way, it's better for the environment if the panels are manufactured close to where they're going to be installed because it stores costs and it's just better not to ship a long ways. So if the panels are being manufactured in other countries, that will boost the economy in other countries. It will be helpful to the environment. Lots of people can make money manufacturing panels. We won't make as much, but it's better for the planet that way. We can help our country and then other countries boost their economy with solid manufacturing that is also protecting the environment.
0: Another more unexpected challenge was a bit of a blindside and one that's a much more modern phenomenon.
2: In the beginning, you know, we had to learn to have thick skins because in the beginning, we, we'd never experienced that before. People just flat out attacking us for no reason.
1: We got hit in the midst of our Indiegogo campaign and it was quite a surprise at first. So we asked our, our team at Indiegogo, you know, for advice and what's going on? Are you seeing this? We're being attacked. And they said, oh yeah, it's because you're successful. At first it was very disheartening, but then we learned to just have a thicker skin and a sense of humor about it because some of the crazy lies they make up are really quite something. What's disheartening for us though, is Here we are literally dedicating our lives to trying to save the planet, not just for ourselves and our own family, but for everyone, for those people, too.
0: Their crowdfunding campaign was incredibly successful, but also a definite learning experience. Julie and Scott knew, however, that this wouldn't be the right approach for longer term widespread success for solar roadways. They were going to have to think bigger and take the idea to the next level.
2: We were invited to do a talk at Booz Allen Hamilton out in Virginia, and we did that. Took a train all the way across the country.
1: That was We didn't have any money back then. <laughs> extremely early on. Yeah. We were just in the concept phase.
2: So we did our talk, and after the talk, somebody came up out of the audience and said, I'm with the Federal Highway Administration. Are you going to be in town long enough to do this presentation for my group? And we hadn't talked to any civil engineers yet. So I told Julie, let's just do it, because they might laugh us out of the building. I don't even know if this is possible. Two days later, I did a 90-minute presentation at the Turner Fairbanks Research Facility for the Federal Highway Administration. And it was a room full of civil engineers, and there's a big whiteboard all the way across the front of the room. And I, part of my presentation, I was drawing on a whiteboard. And by the end of my presentation, there were four of them up there drawing with me, saying, here's how we can do this.
1: And they had calculated, talk about the numbers, they had calculated how much we lose as a nation from people sitting in traffic because of road construction.
2: Yeah, it's, they, they came up with a, after this research, they said it was $165 billion we lose every year from you and I sitting in traffic jams due to road construction. And by that they mean you're sitting there, you, your engine's running, you're burning gasoline, but you're not moving and you're not getting to work where you can be productive. And the reason is, they said, based on that report, they realized that fixing potholes the way they're currently doing it is crazy. They stop traffic, they you know, put asphalt in, they stamp it down, it's not even a good fix, it's bumpy. But they found it was much more economical to just cut out a 10 foot by 10 foot square of asphalt, toss it away and drop in a precast concrete slab in there. It's a horrible fix, it's still bumpy, but it gets traffic moving faster. And that's what they really loved about Solar Road, they said, you've got a modular system here, so if a panel goes out. You know, I can it only weighs 70 pounds. I can throw it in the back of my Subaru, drive out there, swap out the panel, reprogram it and be gone in five minutes. And that particular fix, the road is as good as a day it was first laid. It was the following year. Uh, they came out with a, a solicitation open to anybody for some kind of road that can actually pay for itself over its lifespan. And they came out with eight points of interest that they want us to attempt. And this is a phase one SBAR, which stands for Small Business Innovative Research
1: They give you you tasks
2: to complete. So there are eight tasks. They said, if you can complete four of them, we'll consider you a success. And we completed all eight. The first round of funding was just, it was pretty funny. It was uh, $100,000 for six months. And the only idea there was to go to professors at universities with lots of letters behind their names to say, yeah, this is a viable idea. You should fund it. Well, we already had professors on board. So we didn't need a hundred thousand dollars. So I said, how about we build a prototype instead and use the money for that? And he said, that's great. Do that.
1: It was very crude. It was huge because our original idea was, okay, we'll make these panels as big as a lane in the road. And then it was a really good thing. We did this really crude prototype because when you see a 12 by 12 foot panel, <laughs> <laughs> you kind of realize, uh, no, that. That was not a good idea. That is, imagine shipping them, imagine mm-hmm. manufacturing them.
2: Not going to throw that in the Subaru.
1: Yeah.
2: After we turned in our final report for the phase one, they offered us a phase two, which was $750,000 over a two-year period, and they tasked us with building a parking lot. So what I did really did is I built a 36-foot section of highway.
0: By now, their idea was catching on and getting a lot of attention from all over the world. It wasn't just the product, it was the mission, the bigness and boldness of it. Along the way, they found some new, more well-known advocates talking about their humble little company, some of whom Julie didn't even know.
1: Julian Lennon was the first celebrity to uh, share an article about us, and that translated to, he got thousands and thousands of likes. He wrote one word, clever, and shared an article that probably amounted to $150,000 or so to our Indiegogo campaign, because that got the word out. And then, um, not just George Dekai. I mean that was wonderful. And uh, Nathan Fillion, uh, the actor, talked about us at Comic Con, and that video's on our on our website. Such a cool video when people asked him what he was into, and he said solar freaking roadways, <laughs> and. And he was just so sweet and so funny there um, actually a talking lot of, about us. And, and uh, Mark Ruffalo and Susan Sarandon and so many people. Oh,
2: Mythbusters. Um, there were a bunch of them jumped on. And, and every time, you know, that's the way our society is for some reason. But when a celebrity says it or endorses it, you get a big jump. You he
1: really it. helped us a lot.
2: When I got the big bump from George Takai, <clears throat> Julie said, Who the heck is George Takai? He said, you can't be married to an electrical engineer and not know anything about Star Trek.
1: (laughs) Maybe cut that out. I don't want to hurt George's feelings. (laughs) I I honestly, I never watched those movies, so I didn't know who he was, but I don't want to hurt his feelings. (laughs) We've had so many, and of course I know who they all are now.
0: (laughs) Solar Roadways is currently on version SR4 of their panel, the fourth generation. While it's been a long road to this point, with each evolution, they've learned and adapted. They've come a long way from their first prototype.
2: Well, I'll give you a little history. The SR1 was that big square thing from our phase one, and we knew we weren't going to make it like that. So if SR2 is what you see in the video, the, the parking lot beside my red electrical app.
1: And that's when we came up with the hexagon shape. Yeah.
2: In SR3, see SR2 had the heating elements and had the LEDs, and I could adjust them manually with a computer to make them brighter when the sun was out, but that you can't really do that. So SR3 was the first automated version where we put the sensors in, where the microprocessor read the light sensor and adjusted the LED intensities accordingly, and also had the temperature sensors and turned on the heaters when it was cold enough. And so that was our first fully automated version, and that's, that was the first one we put in a public square in Sandpoint, Idaho. We put 30 panels in. We were hoping that that would be our first commercial product, but we had mostly manufacturing problems because we we're, were brand new to manufacturing. All the SR2 and SR1 are made by hand. So SR3 was actually done by machine, and it was my first experience with manufacturing, and nobody told me all your machines will break down like, on a daily basis. So we had to get real creative on keeping them up and running, and there are a lot of lessons to be learned there. And so SR4 overcomes all the manufacturing problems of SR3, and we found a few other things that needed to be adjusted. Uh, we changed the LEDs. We perfected the heating system. Um, we added a bunch of protective circuitry. But that is the SR4, which we hope will not be the first commercial product.
0: I've known a lot of entrepreneurs and small business owners, and they all have a certain something, a drive, a connection to their vision, no matter what roadblocks may appear. There's an old Zen proverb that I like, fall down seven times, get up eight. It's a great model for everyday resilience, but it's particularly relevant when you're a new business, especially one with a new idea. There can be a lot of falling. I asked Scott and Julie to share a story about one of their bruises.
2: Biggest failure was a grand opening in Sandpoint. Oh, my gosh. They ordered 30 panels, and we were close. You know, we are sad materials coming in, but they asked a lot of people, a lot of press from around the country, around the world, wanted to come and be here for the grand opening. So so the
1: city people are saying, we, yeah. ha- we have to set a date. And we had, we had so many supporters who were telling, because I do all of our social media, and people were saying, I'm going to fly to Sandpoint from, you know, wherever they were. Uh, around the country to be here for the grand opening so we felt pressured into we had to set a date so that people could buy tickets and the press could be here
2: well we thought we picked a safe date but then our suppliers started having troubles and we weren't getting the supplies we needed to build all the panels and the date was sneaking up on us and we have a lamination machine that's capable of doing 30 panels at once but we would never done more than two or three at a time because it was mostly prototyping at the time by the time I got everything we needed, it was like, like the night before the grand opening. So we just put them all in the oven and winged it. you know. And, and yeah, our, right. our lamination oven has two fans and three heaters. And unbeknownst to us, one of the heaters and one of the fans crapped out in the middle of the night and there's no fans on the machine. And what was normally like a 12-hour program ran like 24 hours and we didn't know it, but it's under heavy vacuum and under that much time it started pulling the circuit boards apart. Man, we can't see this. So when we finally pull them out, we start testing, but only, I believe, 8 of the 30 worked properly, and maybe a few, like 12 more, the LEDs worked, and it was just a disaster. It was horrible.
1: That was one of my absolute worst moments, because I do all of our social media, and we had almost no sleep, and I remember posting, I had to post on Facebook at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I said, bad news, everybody. And, you know, we didn't know how people were going to react, how our support base was going to react to this horrible news. And and we were so sleep deprived, you know, because we really hadn't slept much in about and, three and days. We, yeah, and we had to, to go do it. a
2: press conference that morning.
1: I waited for people to start responding. And even though it was 5 o'clock in the morning, people started responding really fast. And I just sat there with tears running down my face as I read things like, Oh, don't worry. That happens. You know, of course, of course, you know, this is to be expected. You're in early production and that's what R&D is for and we're behind you. No worries. And people were so kind. Everybody was so kind to us there and they loved the panels anyway, even though eight of them worked and it was, it was ended up being a great experience just seeing how, how wonderful our support base is. I always say we have the best supporters in the world. Solar roadways
0: actually caught my attention many years ago. It was early in their evolution, and it was a small special interest story, maybe one of the science channels. But their idea, their vision, seemed incredible to me, and had been in the back of my head ever since. But having the privilege to actually spend some time talking with them, I came to understand that their product was so much more than I even realized. They are talking about fundamentally transforming a massive part of the world's infrastructure. Paved surfaces, like roads and parking lots. This is a seismic shift that could change so much, but I didn't even realize how far it could take us.
2: Uh, A few years back, I got a phone call from Kenneth Horowitz, who is the founder of Cellular One, which is one of the first cell phone companies. And he was currently on the board of a company that's working on dynamic charging for EVs, charging them while they drive. And he was excited about solar roadways. So we talked for about 20 minutes, and I... So let me ask you a question. I said in my talks, we along a roadside we have what we call a cable corridor. Now that's where you put it's a, like a vault, and that's where you put all your uh, inverters, microinverters, power spots, whatever you need. So they're protected and can't be stolen. For instance, I said if what I've been telling my crowd is if we could take like a whip antenna like every mile, we could probably eliminate all dead spots for cell phones on roads. And he's just interrupted me, he says, you wouldn't even have to do that. So he says, all you would have to do is run coax down your cable corridor and you, you wouldn't have any dead spots left. Exactly. And that's, that's what we've been looking for, is that's what you call the smart grid, because we looked into this early on, like your wind farms. The biggest challenge they have is getting the power from a wind farm or something middle of nowhere back to a city. And the average cost is about a million dollars a mile to lay that line. Well, you've got dirt roads going up to every one of those windmills. If you make them out of solar road panels and put a cable cord beside it, now you've got your backbone. I don't care if it's a hydroelectric dam or a wind farm or a solar farm or whatever, if we're outfitting the roads, that becomes the backbone for all renewable energy.
1: So we become the smart grid and get all that energy in more easily.
2: When I got that first SBIR grant from the USDOT, one of those eight tasks, wish, tasks on the wish list was solve the stormwater problem. We went out and visited the uh, Center for Urban Waters in Tacoma early on when we got that grant, and they were doing a study on the Puget Sound around Seattle. And they found that over 50% of the heavy metals in the Sound was from stormwater. So they asked us to, to do something about that, and we weren't sure where to start. So we thought, well, we have the cable corridor. If we put tanks you know, every 100 yards or whatever, the cable corridor acts like a channel for water those tanks can store that water where we can, you know, filter it right on site or pump it through a series of check valves either direction down the road so we can move the storm water to an actual filtration facility or even beyond that to an aquifer or you know, agricultural area. To an area having a
1: drought because how often do you turn on the news and you see some area of the country is flooded while another area of the country is in drought so if we could move that water
2: We had a hydrologist stop by once and he said, if you could move water just 200 miles in this country, you'd solve all the drought problems. The way we plan to do it is the first roads will be residential roads, you know, slow moving, lightweight vehicles for the most part. And then move our way up, you know, learn our lessons on residential roads then go to maybe county roads. And then, you know, the fast lane of the highway will be last. But I would guess in the next couple of years we'll be doing our first residential roads.
1: But it's really important to get to those highways so that we can enable dynamic charging for EVs Mm -hmm. and help with autonomous vehicles because we haven't even talked about that, but we have helps for both of those industries which could be further help from the environment by eliminating the one problem that EVs have, which is range anxiety. Because if we can allow dynamic charging on solar roads then you've solved that problem, and now they're charging with clean sunshine instead of fossil fuels. So that is gonna be the final thing that's gonna just really be the icing on the cake for the environment, and we've gotta get that infrastructure in to make it happen.
2: We've got over 28,000 square miles of paved impervious surfaces. So if we covered that with solar road panels, and and we did these calculations back when the standard solar cell was 15% efficient, we're now using 22.5%. Efficient solar cells.
1: We have to recalculate that now. Yeah,
2: but even with 15%, we calculated if you covered all those surfaces of solar road panels, you'd produce three times more energy than when use as a nation. We just feel like we're, it's like we're in a race against the planet.
1: Time is our yeah. enemy. We always say our enemy is time because we get every day we start out the day with this to-do list And every day we have to go to bed without all of it crossed off because there's all these additional things. And for me, I handle all of the emails that come. Right now I have over 20,000 emails that I'm trying to work my way through. And most of them are customers from all over the world who are wanting our panels yesterday. So my job has become telling everybody, wait, not yet. And I just really can't wait until I can say, yes, how many would you like? And when would you like those?
0: Thanks for listening to Scrappy. You can go to ScrappyPod.com for show notes and links to Scott and Julie's company, Solar Roadways. Keep an eye on these two. They are really going to change the world. If you know someone you think would make a good guess for our next season, go to ScrappyPod.com and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to like and subscribe, and give us a rating to let us know what you think of the pod.